I believe everybody has a handout. If you don't have a handout, if you raise your hand, uh, I'll be sure to give you one. All right, tonight we are beginning to look at the seven seals. We are in chapter six. The goal is to do a chapter a night as we work our way through uh, the rest of the book of Revelation. Introduction, everything that took place in chapters four and five focused upon heaven, and particularly the throne of God. In Revelation 6, John is still in heaven, but he sees how the events in heaven are being played out on earth. So the emphasis is that what is taking place is governed, ruled by the entities of heaven, but the decisions that are made in heaven are being indeed played out or experienced on earth. So introduction to the seven seals. The seven seals extend to the entire period leading up to the millennial reign of Christ. So the seven seals are in effect from chapter 6 to the end of the book. The seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgments. When the land opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about half an hour. Then I saw the angels who stand before them, and seven trumpets were given to them. It's referring to the seven trumpet judgments. The seventh trumpet judgment contains the seven bold judgments, Revelation 10, 7. But that in the days of the trumpet called to the surrounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bulls of the wrath of God. Thus, the seven seals contain all the trumpet and the bull judgments. If you can think of those Russian nesting dolls, you know, where you open up the big doll, there's another doll inside, and you open up that doll, and there's another doll inside, and you can get some of these nesting dolls that there are 24 of them. Well, it's kind of like that with the, the trumpet judgments. You have one, two, three, four, five, six. You open the, the uh, excuse me, the seal judgments. You start with the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. You open the seventh. And there are the seven trumpet judgments. You open those, one, two, three, four, five, six. And on the seventh, there are the seven bold judgments. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So in this seventh seal judgment are all the bold judgments, or all the trumpet judgments, I'm sorry. And in the seventh trumpet judgment are all the bold judgments. So basic observations. The judgments of God grow increasingly worse with each succeeding judgment. So in all these judgments, it just kept getting worse and worse. And the judgments of God grow increasingly close together with each succeeding judgment. So the farther, the closer you get to the end, the more rapid these judgments start coming, all right? So there's, there's a much broader space in the beginning, and then they, they really start picking up speed, 
And not only do they pick up speed, but they pick up intensity. So the end of the tribulation period is by far uh, the most difficult, hardest uh, period of time. So the seven seals. First, the first four seals. The first four seals have the rider images in common. This section is commonly referred to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. What is most significant in these seals is not to try to identify uh, the uh, identity of the rider, but rather to note the characteristics of the rider. So we don't know who these riders are or who they're supposed to represent, but what is important for us to understand is the characteristics of these riders. What do they do? Not who they are. Number four. What is significant is that the power that the horseman has is derived from God. So as you look at the various horsemen, in Revelation 6-2, uh, where you had the first horseman, I looked and behold a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. Uh, passive tense, meaning he received it, all right? He didn't take it, but it was given to him. So authority was given to him. Revelation 6-4. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. So again, a derived authority. He was allowed to take peace, but he didn't have that authority on his own. It was given to him. Revelation 6, verse 8. And I looked and behold a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth part of the earth. So all of these riders derive their authority from, from God. They are all under God's authority. <clears throat> Five. One should note the strong parallels with this section of Revelation and Jesus' teaching in Matthew concerning his coming and the end of the age. Now, we would expect that the prophetic portions of Scripture dovetail and work together, and they do. And Matthew 24 is uh, helpful, uh, gives us some helpful insights into this particular uh, portion of God's Word. In Matthew 24, verse 3, it says, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So now looking at these sealed judgments, the first seal is the white horse. Characteristics of the rider. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. Now notice the lamb, of course, is Jesus Christ. And he is the one that is unfurling these, these seals. So we can speak of the authority that comes from God is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, he is sending out these, these horsemen. So I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow. And a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. This individual has a crown and is thus a ruler. 
So he has authority. Uh, he is some kind of governing entity. He has a bow. And with that instrument of war, he goes out to conquer. Uh, goes, uh, and he comes out conquering and to conquer. Uh, if you look at the parallel with Matthew, it says, And as he went on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And they will lead many astray. Um, perhaps one of the reasons that this individual wears, uh, rides a white horse is because that many times in Scripture, white is uh, considered to be purity. At the end of the age, when Christ returns, he's riding a white stallion. Uh, this is probably an antichrist. It's probably someone that's coming, uh, representing himself as Christ and is out to conquer. So this conquering is not in a good sense. It's in a bad sense. And he's going out to conquer uh, the people of God. Second, the red seal or the red horse. Characteristics of the rider. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. So with this sword, he is able to take peace from the earth and they slay one another. He will remove peace from the earth, and as I said, he will cause people to kill each other, so that people should say one to another, <clears throat> and he was given a great sword. The parallel is in Matthew 24, 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. So there is going to be a time of fierce warring, on the face of the earth. There are going to be battles. There are, are going to be uh, authorities that, that rise up. Uh, it's going to be uh, difficult times. The third seal is the black horse. Characteristics of the rider. Here the rider is given a scale to weigh out payment for goods. When he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. Uh, you can think of those, we've all seen those, those scales, uh, where uh, they tip uh, to measure uh, a quantity, uh, trying to gain that which is of equal value. <clears throat> At this time, food and commodities will be very expensive. Verse 6. And I heard a voice, what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four urban creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. So there is going to be uh, a shortage of foods. And they are going to be extremely Expensive at this time. If you look at the parallel with Matthew, Matthew 24 7, for nation will rise against nation. We already saw that with the last horse. 
kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines. Uh, so this is one of the reasons, in addition to the war, in addition to all of the difficulty on the face of the earth, there's going to be famines um, worldwide, which is going to raise, of course, the cost of food. Uh, commodities are going to be scarce. Uh, the fourth seal, the characteristics of the writer. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by a wild beast of the earth. So now we've got added pestilence, wild beasts. Uh, it seems to be catastrophes of all kinds. Parallel with Matthew is that there will be famines, earthquakes in various places. So there's going to be a tremendous unrest where a fourth of the earth's population is going to die as a result of these different entities, the famine, the pestilence, the wars, the beasts, all that is taking place on the face of the earth. So obviously, very difficult times. Fourthly, the fifth seal are the martyred saints. The scene changes from earth back to heaven. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. So this sword that is being uh, waved, these deaths that are taking place, uh, some of them are a result of persecution. Uh, some of these are the saints giving up their lives uh, for the faith. The reason that the saints had been slain, the saints had been slain because they had remained faithful to the scriptures. We opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God, right? For their allegiance to God's word, for their allegiance to the scriptures. Uh, that is why they have, been, they have been killed. Notice again, just a reminder, that all of this is under the authority of Jesus Christ. The evil one can't do anything that Christ doesn't allow. He's the one that's opening these seals. Uh, but as these seals are open, then these other entities are doing these dastardly things. The saints had been slain because they remained faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. So they were faithful to the scriptures and they continued to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. They continued to share the gospel. Uh, they continued to demonstrate their allegiance to God in all things. A. It appears that their souls are under the altar because they had given their lives and sacrificed to God. Revelation 6, 9. And we opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. 
The Apostle Paul spoke of his death in terms of a sacrifice to God. Philippians 2.17, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. So here Paul saw his end of his life as a means of offering himself up to the mind and will of God. He was presenting himself to God. So these saints are under the altar as they have given up their, their lives in sacrifice, in obedience, in their worship of God. So they are to be praised. They are to be commended. Uh, they have a place of honor, if you will. See, the martyred saints ask a question. How long will it be before God holds those on earth accountable for slaying God's servants? Revelation 6.10. They cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So how long is this going to be going on? How long is this going to continue? When is judgment coming is their question. Now from that question we can deduce a number of things. First, it is noteworthy that the martyred saints and obviously dead individuals are well aware of the events that are taking place on earth. Revelation 6.10. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They are very much aware of what is taking place. They know what is happening on earth. They recognize the injustices that are being performed and the things that are taking place. Now, when I have, I've done a, a series in the past on life after death, and one of the things that I have stressed is that wherever the Bible speaks to the issue of do dead people know what's going on on the earth, the answer is always in the affirmative. They always know what is taking place on the earth. Here we have it in the book of Revelation. We have it on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is on the Mount and he's transfigured and Moses and Elijah appear unto him. They know what's happening. They're talking to Jesus about his coming crucifixion. They are aware of the events that are happening. If you go back to the Old Testament where uh, the witch of Endor calls up uh, Samuel from the dead. Uh, I believe that that is an actual event. Uh, she's frightened by what happens. Uh, she doesn't expect that to take place. But um, the scripture represents Samuel is coming back to speak to Saul. He speaks to Saul. He tells Saul about what's going to happen. He talks about the battle that's going to take place. He talks about Saul losing his life. He's very much aware of everything that is happening on the face of the earth. Um, if you look even at Psalm 2, where in that Psalm the nations are raging. They are rising up in rebellion against God. And it says that 
the son will have them in derision, speaking of those that are in heaven. That, that heaven is laughing as this earth is rising up in rebellion. They, again, it's a, every passage that you can remotely think of, whether it be Lazarus rising from the dead, whatever the case may be, and I'm talking not about, not about Lazarus, John chapter 11, but the rich man in Lazarus, whatever account you can think of, people know what is happening on the face of this earth. And I believe wholeheartedly that our dead loved ones are looking down and are very much aware of what is happening on this earth. They are very much alive. They are very much in tune with what God is doing. Furthermore, number two, it is worthy to note how the present events on earth are understood by the martyred saints dead in light of future heavenly and earthly events. Revelation 6.10, they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood? So they realize the end. They, they realize what's coming. They understand that there's going to be a judgment. They understand that there's going to be a punishment. They are able to look at earth's events and put them into the time frame of God's purposes. Again, without rehearsing everything, <clears throat> Moses and Elijah know about the crucifixion of Christ. They are able to talk with him about these events that are, are going to take place. So not only are they aware, but they are aware in terms of God's ultimate purpose and will for these things. Three, furthermore, it is noteworthy that the martyred saints dead remember what took place while they were alive on the earth. They cried out loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood? So they remember their death. And they remember the events that led to their death. They remember the persecution that they were under. Uh, all of that is fresh in their minds. Uh, so that when we die, our memories of this earth aren't eradicated. They, they don't just go away. And that is part of the Christian's comfort in, First Thess in, in Thessalonians, where it says, you know, uh, my mind just went blank, it will come. We sorrow not uh, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even also shall God bring with him those that are dead in Christ. And it says that, that we will rise and we'll be together uh, in, with them in the Lord. All of that is meaningless if there isn't a remembrance of this earth, if there isn't a remembrance of our families, if the people in heaven don't know of our coming to be with them. It is a source of comfort that when we die, we are going to be with our loved ones and they are going to welcome us. The events of this earth are not irrelevant to our future existence. Rewards would mean nothing if we didn't understand 
what it was that we were being rewarded for, the crowns that we receive. All right? So it's important to realize that this life is preparatory for the life to come. This life is extremely significant in the life of the future. Number four, the martyred saints asked the question in the most respectful manner. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord. Okay, so, so they recognize that uh, God is in control over these events. And they are ascribing to him the glory. You are sovereign. All of this is under your control. Not only is he sovereign, but they speak of him as being holy and true. Meaning that his word is true. His promises are reliable. His character is without flaw. So they know that everything that God has promised is going to be fulfilled, is going to be completed. So the events that are taking place on earth are not in any way casting doubt or uncertainty in the hearts and minds of these martyred saints. They are not throwing up their hands and saying, what went wrong here? <laughs> why did we die? They're not saying, God, why is the evil one winning? That's not their perspective. Their perspective is God is sovereign, that God is holy, that God is true. <clears throat> their concern is how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Not if you will, but how long until you do. Okay? And so, in a very respectful manner, they're asking the question, why not now? Why are you allowing this to continue? Um, when is this going to come to an end? It is by this very same title that Jesus refers to himself in the letter to the church of Philadelphia. And the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Uh, said two of these seals. Uh, he is the Holy One, he is faithful, he is true. Five. The martyred saints are provided an answer. The martyred saints are comforted in this answer. Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. Rest a little longer. Um, you just have to wait. Not told how long they have to wait, but they are told that they, they need to rest a little longer. But it's comforting to know that they are in a place of rest. Uh, they are in a place of comfort even though they are very much aware of what is happening on the face of this earth. Even though they, they want to see the coming of the Lord. And that is ultimate truth in the book of Revelation. If you fast forward to the end of the book, it ends with the thought, even so come Lord Jesus. 
Um, the people of God should be looking for and uh, desiring the Lord's return. Uh, that is a wonderful consummation of all things. And so they are looking forward to the Lord's return. They're not told when, but they're to be comforted in it. And B, the martyred saints are made aware that it has been appointed that more saints will be killed. And they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow saints and their brothers should be complete. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Which tells us a, a number of important things. First, that there indeed is a fixed number that God has in mind of those that are going to die in this particular period of time. All right? We know that the Word of God teaches us that our uh, days are numbered. Um, the psalmist tells us that in Psalm 139. We are fearfully and wonderfully made uh, that our soul knows right well and that our, our days are, are numbered by him. Uh, we know uh, from uh, the Gospels that uh, even a sparrow doesn't die well apart from uh, the uh, knowledge of God. So again, these are, this is all under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter tells us that the reason he hasn't yet come back is because he is not desirous that any should be lost. And that's not talking about all mankind because there's going to be people that lost. It's talking about the last elect person. When the last elect person is saved is when the Lord Jesus Christ is returning. And right now, he says, there are others that have to die. There are others that are going to be uh, giving up his life, but he knows who they are. And again, he's in control. The other thing that we should note is that thus those who are slaying the saints are heaping up wrath upon their heads. All right, So they are just making their judgment worse and worse as they are rebelling against Christ and uh, carrying out these dastardly deeds. The parallel with Matthew. Matthew 24, 8 and following. All these things are the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation, put you to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. There is that ultimate promise of deliverance. That is these saints in heaven who have remained faithful to God's word, faithful to their witness. The sixth seal. Terror grips the earth to the catastrophic events that take place. Great catastrophic events take place. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood, 
And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gate. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Terror grips all classes of people who are on the earth. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? So these people that are on the face of the earth, these rebels, these ones that are standing up in opposition towards God, know now that the end is near. And they now recognize the authority of God. All right? it's, it's kind of pictured, uh, again, in the book of Exodus. And I've already mentioned that there's a, a lot of parallel between the judgments in the book of Exodus and the judgments in the book of Revelation. That's why we should take these judgments literally, for they literally happened in the book of Exodus with the blood and uh, with the locusts, etc., etc., well, at the end of those judgments, Pharaoh finally acknowledges who God is. Pharaoh finally acknowledges that this is done by the hand of God. Uh, Pharaoh finally submits himself to the authority of God. And that's the picture here in the book of Revelation. The, just before Christ returns. Uh, but it's not repentance. It's not repentance. It's not submission in the sense that we have sinned and now we need to place ourselves under authority, but rather it's recognition that they have come against a superior power. Uh, these generals, these people on the earth, realize they can't fight this force. They realize that they're helpless. They, they seek for caves. They, they can't resist, but they still don't submit but they come to recognize their, their limitations. Uh, they come to realize that they are but men. Parallel with Matthew. The catastrophic events are described. Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. All right? The exact same verbiage, the, the exact same uh, descriptions. We can go to Joel. We can go to a number of places in the Old Testament where these same descriptions are used. The terror of the people described. There will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the cloud of heavens with power and great glory. Don't miss the parallel where it says that all the tribes of the earth will mourn. We also know that there are going to be people in heaven from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. And just as there are people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, there are going to be people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation that are going to be mourning, that are going to be weeping, that are going to recognize the judgment that they are about to be under. They realize the Son of God is coming. 
the seventh seal is not described until chapter 8 and is separated in time from the first six seals. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Uh, we will look at more at that when we get to chapter 8 and we, we unpack that, but I'm just throwing it out there for, for your awareness. So our conclusion tonight, we are to see the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, his control, his oversight of all these seals. We're, we're to see the intensifying of hardship and difficulty. Uh, Matthew tells us that, if we're, that uh, these days are shortened for the sake of the elect, uh, but there's going to be an intensification. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And there are going to be people of God that die. But it's important to remember in the book of Revelation, as I pointed out in the past, that the saints don't die as a matter of God's wrath. God's wrath is not poured out upon his people. God's wrath is poured out upon the unbelievers on the face of the earth. But, as in any age, believers do experience the wrath of the evil one. Just as there are places on the face of this earth today where there's persecution. We have brothers and sisters in the Lord who are dying tonight because of their allegiance to the word of God and the testimony of their faith. And I would submit to you that one of the responses that we should have is how long, O oh Lord? How long of our brothers and sisters going to have to go through this. But we say that to a sovereign God. We ask that question of a God who's holy and true. The word is faithful. Who's going to provide deliverance. Who's going to come and set all things right. And so may we say with the book of Revelation even so come Lord Jesus. Set this world right. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you that you have told us, you have made us aware. You have allowed us to see what is before us so that we can understand and realize that when these difficult times come, that, that this isn't something that is just totally unthinkable or that somehow you aren't on the throne. But we are told these things so that we would be strong, so that we would overcome, so that our faith would endure. So we would acknowledge, O oh God, that even these horrific events are under your reign, under your authority, accomplishing your purpose and your will. So, Lord, help us to be faithful in this day and age in which we live. Help us to identify with your word and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful in taking the good news of the gospel to a world that ultimately is only going to know his wrath and his judgment. So help us to take that word to help people to flee that judgment and to be a part of those that are uh, in heaven from every tongue and tribe and people and nation that are experiencing salvation. 
not the ones that are from every time tribe, people, and nation experiencing judgment. And uh, Lord, I thank you for the reality of eternal life. I thank you for our forefathers, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I thank you for my parents, my grandparents. Lord, many of us have loved ones who have preceded us to heaven. And we thank you, O God, that we will be reunited. I thank you for the fellowship of the saints that's for eternity. I thank you, Lord, for those that have died even in the midst of our congregation this past year and the years before, and to realize that we're going to be in your presence together, worshiping, rejoicing, delighting, giving thanks. Lord, comfort us with these thoughts, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.